From world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more. Wish the headlines would just stop? It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you're not alone. You may not know it, but support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through the friendly people at Church's Care. At Church's Care, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Church's Care helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's churchescare.com. C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com. We look forward to serving you. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome, everyone, to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is Canadian UFO stories. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with, with pronouncing names. We apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of UFOlogy. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. Canadian UFO stories are today's subject. We have previously talked about UFO stories from the United States and Great Britain. But why Canadian UFO stories? Why not Australian UFO stories? 
because they are ver very well documented. Former Canadian Cabinet Minister Paul Hellier has con controversially spoken about UFOs and extraterrestrials. Paul Hellier has appeared on the Exxon radio show with Rob McConnell, stating that UFO activity has been going on for thousands of years, but has increased since the exploding of the atomic bombs at the end of World War II in 1945. Here is a quote from Wikipedia regarding a Paul Hellier interview with Russia Today in 2014. Quote, Hellier said that at least four species of aliens have been visiting Earth for thousands of years, with most of them coming from other star systems, although there are some living on Venus, Mars, and Saturn's moon. According to him, they don't think we are good stewards of our planet, unquote. That sounds a little crazy, except that I think it's hard to argue that we are good stewards of our planet. The UFO sightings we're going to discuss, discuss today are the 1967 Falcon Lake Manitoba incident, the 1967 Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia incident, the 1974 Langenberg, Saskatchewan incident, and the 1978 Clarenville, Newfoundland incident. Why those four? Because those are among the most talked about and well-documented. There were 1,101 UFO sightings reported in Canada in 2017, according to the Manitoba-based Ufology Research Organization. How many settings were there in the United States during 2017? There were about 5,000 according to the Statista website, but the population in the United States was 325 million in 2017, whereas that of Canada was 35 million. That suggests that Canada has more UFO sightings based on population than the United States. Why don't you tell the story of the Falcon Lake, Manitoba incident? The story is claimed to be Canada's best documented UFO case. It centers around Stefan Michelek, an amateur prospector looking for signs of gold or silver on May the 20th, 1967 in Whiteshell Provincial Park, which is about 18 miles or 130 kilometers due east of Winnipeg. Here's part of an article from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, or CBC, website from May of 2017. Quote, according to his accounts, as reported in newspapers at the time and since repeated in books, magazines, and on TV shows like Unsolved Mysteries, Stefan looked up and saw two cigar-shaped objects with a reddish glow hovering about 45 metres away. One descended, according to Stefan's account, landing on a flat section of rock and taking on more of a disc shape. The other remained in the air for a few minutes before flying off. Believing it to be a secret US military experimental craft, Stefan sat back and sketched it over the next half hour. Then he decided to approach, later recalling the warm air and the smell of sulfur as he got closer, as well as a whirring sound of motors and a hissing of air. He also noted an, a door open on the side with bright lights inside and said he heard voices muffled by the sounds from the craft, unquote. 45 meters is about 50 yards. What happened next? Again from the CBC website, quote, he said he called out offering mechanical help to the Yankee boys if they needed it. The voices went quiet but did not answer. So Stefan tried his native Polish, then in Russian and finally in German. Only the word of the craft responded. He claims he went closer and noted the smooth metal of the ship with no seams. 
He then looked into the bright doorway, pulling on the welding goggles he used to protect his eyes while chipping rocks, chipping at rocks during prospecting. Inside, Stefan said he saw light beams and panels of various colored lights, fl flashing lights, but could not see anyone or any living thing. When he stepped away, three panels slid across the door opening and sealed it. He reached to touch the craft, which he said melted the fingertips of the glove he was wearing. The craft then began to turn counterclockwise, and Stefan says he noticed a panel that contained a grid of holes. Shortly afterward, he was struck in the chest by a blast of air or gas that pushed him backward and set his shirt and cap ablaze. He ripped away the burning garments as the craft lifted off and flew away, unquote. Did he find a phone and contact the authorities? Apparently not. He did go back to his motel. Here's more of the CBC article. Quote, disoriented and nauseous, Stefan stumbled through the forest and vomited. Eventually made his way back to his motel room in Falcon Lake and then caught a bus back to Winnipeg. He was treated at a hospital for burns to his chest and stomach that later turned into raised sores on a grid-like pattern. And for weeks afterwards, he suffered from diarrhea, headaches, blackouts and weight loss, unquote. What happened when he told his story and showed the sketch of the strange craft? The sketch looks like a flying saucer and is available on the CBC and other websites. While in the hospital, Stefan had an odor of sulfur that seemed to come out of his pores. His shirt had the pattern of holes that came from the grid of holes on the spacecraft. When he left the hospital, his, book, his home was invaded by the media, government agencies and gawkers. Stefan later wrote a book with local UFO researcher Chris Rutkowski about the incident. He regretted telling the story as it changed his life and that of his family. He didn't, fully he didn't recover fully and went to the famous Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota in 1968, suffering from a reoccurrence of burns plus blackouts. Was there evidence of a landing site or other physical evidence nearby? Here is a further quote from the CBC article. Quote, and the landing site was a circle about 15 feet in diameter, devoid of the moss and vegetation growing in other areas of the same rock outcropping. Soil samples along with samples of clothing were tested and deemed to be highly radioactive. So were pieces of metal that were chipped out of cracks in the rock about a year after the incident. The metal had somehow been melted into the cracks. Many of the items have long since been lost as they were transferred through various authorities and agencies. However, Rutkowski and Michelek still have one of the pieces of metal which remains radioactive. Unquote. 15 feet is about 4.5 meters. Was the metal or its radioactivity analyzed? That's the confusing part to the story. There's a lot of skepticism about that. The metal in the chips of rocks is reported to be a form of silver coated in pitch blend ore, which is a blend of uranium and radium minerals. It is claimed by some that the mineral coated silver was planted after the fact. A piece of radioactive metal shown on the website has rusted or corroded, has a rusted or corroded appearance and doesn't look like a product of high technology. The type of radioactivity remains unclear. Did any investigation arrive at any conclusions? The Canadian government and the United States Air Force investigated without arriving at an explanation. Why was the United States Air Force involved? Winnipeg is not far from the United States border. I would expect that the United States Air Force would have seen something on radar. 
A final footnote, though, is that in April of this year, the Canadian Mint issued a one-ounce $20 a coin commemorating the Falcon-like incident, complete with a lake, a flying saucer, and Stefan Michelek. The egg-shaped coin, which the egg-shaped coin must be popular. You can buy one online if you have around six hundred and fifty U.S. dollars to spend. Apparently, it glows in the dark. Well, maybe you could buy me one for Christmas then. But why don't you move on to the nineteen sixty-seven Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia incident? I've heard about this incident several times over the years, but have not seriously looked into it until this week. The shag is a type of seabird similar to a cormorant, giving its name to a small fishing village in, on the southern tip of Nova Scotia, with a population of only a few hundred. So, what happened there in 1967? This is claimed to be the world's only government-documented UFO crash. The following is from Wikipedia, but we'll have to continue with that after the break. Yes, after this short break, we'll continue with the Nova Scotia incident and other Canadian UFO stories, and then the psychic insight and the questions. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Axone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. skeptic or a believer join me rob mcconnell as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the exxon radio tv show on xzbn and the exxon tv channel on simul tv since 1990 the exxon radio tv show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard together we'll investigate ufos aliens ghosts bigfoot psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. 
Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. Before the break, we were discussing the Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia incident, and Dad, you were about to quote from Wikipedia. So can you please start with a quote? Sure. Quote, On the night of October the 4th, 1967, at about 11.20pm, Atlantic Daylight Time, it was reported that something had crashed into the waters of Shag Harbor, and at least 11 people saw a low-flying lit object head towards the harbor. Multiple witnesses reported hearing a whistling sound like a bomb, then a whoosh, and then finally a loud bang. The object was never officially identified and was therefore referred to as an unidentified flying object, UFO, in Government of Canada documents. The The Canadian military became involved in a subsequent rescue recovery effort. The initial report was made by a local resident, Laurie Wickens, and four of his friends. Driving through Shag Harbour on Highway 3, they spotted a large object descending into the waters off the harbour. Obtaining a better vantage point, Wickens and his friends saw an object floating 250 to 300 metres, or 820 to 980 feet, offshore in the waters of Shag Harbour. Wickens contacted the RCMP detachment in Barrington Passage and reported he'd seen a large airplane or a small airliner crash into the waters of Shag Harbour, unquote. RCMP stands for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or Mounties, as they are known. Several websites reported that the UFO floated offshore while emitting a pale yellow glow. Also, it was leaving a trail of dense yellow foam as it drifted. What happened during the rescue and recovery effort? The object sank before it could be recovered. The following is from the same Wikipedia article. Quote, Assuming an aircraft had crashed, within about 15 minutes, 10 RCMP officers arrived at the scene. Concerned for survivors, the RCMP detachment contacted the Rescue Coordination Centre, RCC, in Halifax to advise them of the situation and ask if any aircraft were missing. Before any attempt at rescue could be made, the object started to sink and disappeared from view. A rescue mission was quickly assembled. Within half an hour of the crash, local fishing boats went out to the crash site in the waters of the Gulf of Maine or Shag Harbour to look for survivors. No survivors' bodies or debris were taken, either by the fishermen or by a 
the Canadian Coast Guard search and rescue cutter, which arrived about an hour later from nearby Clarks Harbour. By the next morning, RCC Halifax had determined that no aircraft were missing. While still tasked with the search, the captain of the Canadian Coast Guard cutter received a radio message from RCC Halifax that all commercial, private and military aircraft were accounted for along the eastern seaboard in both Atlantic Canada and New England, unquote. Was anything ever found? The Royal Canadian Navy sent down divers two days later. After two, three days of searching, nothing was, uh, was reported as being found. Were there any other sightings before the object hit the water? According to the Wikipedia article, there were four sightings, including Air Canada Flight 305, residents in their home in Mahon Bay on the Atlantic coast of Nova Scotia, crew of the ship, the Nickerson, and residents of Halifax, Nova Scotia. But multiple lights or objects were reported. Regarding Flight 305, here's another quote from the Wikipedia article. Quote, en route to Toronto while flying over Sherbrooke and Saint-Jean, Quebec, at 3,650 3, metres from Halifax International Airport, Air Canada Captain Pierre Charbonneau on Flight 305 pointed out to co-pilot Bob Ralph that there was something strange out of the left side of the aircraft at 7.15 p.m. In his report, the captain reported an object tracking along a parallel course a few miles away. He describes it as brilliantly lit, a brilliantly lit rectangular object with a string of smaller lights trailing the object. At 7.19, the pilots noticed a sizable silent explosion near the large object. Two minutes later, a second explosion occurred, which faded to a blue cloud around the object, unquote. 3,658 metres is about two and a quarter miles. What was seen from the Nickerson? Again from the Wikipedia article. Quote, While standing at the wheelhouse of his vessel, Captain Leo Howard Mersey was looking at four blips on his Decca radar that were stationary. When he looked up about 28 kilometres from the vessel's windows, he could see the four bright objects situated in a roughly rectangular formation. The entire crew of nearly 26 fishermen stood on deck and watched the object in the northeastern sky. Mersey radioed the rescue coordination centre and the harbour master in Halifax asked for an explanation and filed a report with the Lunenburg RCMP outlining his sighting when they arrived in, a, in port, unquote. 28 kilometres is about 17 miles. If nothing was found in the seabed, how could the incident be determined as a crash with absolute certainty? I don't know unless the UFO just gave the impression that it had crashed. Also, where did the th other three objects go? I think we should move on to the langenberg Saskatchewan incident that occurred in 1974. It occurred on Edwin Fuhrer's farm located close to the Manitoba border. Here's part of an article from the Regina Leader Post website from September 2017. Quote, around 10.30 a.m. on September 1st, 1974, the then 36-year-old was swathing his fields when he saw five saucer-shaped objects on the edge of a slough. Thinking they were duck blinds and that someone was playing a joke on him, Fuhrer got off his swather for a close look and still kept at least 15 feet back. He saw the saucers were hovering a foot off the ground and were rotating at a high rate of speed. Their surface looked like highly polished steel. Fuhrer stopped, backed up and got on, got on his swather. He sat there for the next 15 minutes watching them hover, too scared to move. 
They had me in a trance, as you are now 79. I didn't even know what to do because I was sat there and I thought, well, gee whiz. A corner of sure the objects then took off, emitting a grey vapour from underneath and disappeared into the sky. They made no sound. The objects flew away so fast they were gone like that, says Fuhrer, clapping his hands, unquote. Swathing means cutting a crop, usually fields of canola grown for canola oil, as slow as a swamp, and 15 feet is about 4.5 meters. So that was the end of it. The objects just flew off? Yes, but the objects left some evidence of their presence. The article continues. Quote, he waited a few more minutes to make sure they were gone, then walked to the edge of the slough where he f saw five ring patterns in the field. The grass in the center of each circle was standing while the grass surrounding that was flattened in a clockwise circle. With no idea what he had just seen, Fuhrer headed home for his lunch. His wife Karen and his parents could tell something was wrong. When he came in, he, in, he just sat there, remembers Karen. All of a sudden, we asked him, is there anything wrong? And, well, then he started telling us, unquote. Can you say more about the five-ring patterns in the field? The UFO casebook website provides some detail as well as, as more details of the strange craft. Quote, most of the tall grass was pressed down and in places were twisted as it would be by a spinning object. The circles were exactly 11 feet, 3.3 meters in diameter, and there was unflattened grass in the center. The shaken farmer reported the incident to the RCMP. In a few days, a newspaper story brought hordes of curiosity seekers to the farm, all expecting to see the landing site. Fuhrer could not allow that because he estimated 3,000 people arrived would have pulverized his crop. Fuhrer said the mystery machines were made out of what looked like stainless steel, but had a brushed finish. Each was about 5.5 was about five feet, 1.5 meters high at the peak of its dome-like structure. There, no, there were no windows or portals, no antennae or other projecting parts, except something resembling a short exhaust pipe, the source of the vapor the objects emitted as they rose through the overcast. The Center for UFO Studies in Illinois sent a specialist to the farm, and he found no reason to dispute Fuhrer's report. Corporal Ron Moria of the RCMP concluded that the five circles were caused by something exerting what had to be a heavy exhaust or air pressure. Whatever was in there came out of the air and departed the same way, as far as I could tell, unquote. Pictures of the five ring patterns in the field are on multiple websites. We have time for one more UFO story. The Clarenville, Newfoundland sighting in 1978. The following is from the Newfoundland WS website, quote, On November the 26, 1978, a Mr. Chester Lethbridge and his wife reported to the RCMP a strange object in the sky for the second time over the duration of approximately one week over Random Island, Trinity Bay, Newfoundland. RCMP Constable James Blackwood, an officer on location at the time, went out to the Lethbridge home to investigate. Upon arriving, he also saw this strange, unidentified object in the sky. Both Mr. Lethbridge and Constable Blackwood described the same thing, a cigar-shaped object with a curved tail in the sky with a blue, red, and yellow, with blue, red, and yellow flashing lights. It ranged from about 35 to 40 feet in diameter and hovered approximately 500 feet above sea level with no movement. The object also cast a shadow on the water, so he knew that what he was seeing was not a satellite or a distant planet like Venus. The object was also being tracked by the Department of National Defense, Gander, Newfoundland. 
After observing the object with a naked eye for a while, Constable Blackwood took out his ball scope, a device used to amplify light sources in the night, to observe the object. This was definitely not a plane, nor like any other aircraft Blackwood had ever seen. After observing the object in the sky for a little while longer, Constable Black decided to turn on the flashing lights on his police car. Mr. Lethbridge, however, did not approve of this and went inside, unquote. I think we have to go into the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue after the short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist, 
facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were talking about a supposed UFO in Newfoundland that was spotted. Constable Blackwood must have decided to turn on his police car's flashing lights to try and communicate with the object. I think he succeeded. The article continues. Quote, Constable Blackwood flicked on the flashing blue and red lights on his car, and within seconds, the object in the sky imitated the pattern of flashing lights. Constable Blackwood was speechless, being interested in different types of aircraft as a hobby. Blackwood confidently says that he thought the craft was about the size of a DC-9 aircraft. It was definitely not a plane. It did not resemble any type of plane ever built to his knowledge. It had no wings and made no noise. It had a curved tail and a cigar-shaped body, and and that was all besides the flashing lights. After a period of about two hours, the object left the scene like a shooting star, only in the opposite direction, unquote. That is really interesting that the UFO was communicating with a human being, supposedly. What was the response when Constable Blackwood did the paperwork? The same article continues, quote, Shortly after his sighting in Clarenville, Newfoundland, Constable Blackwood, following procedure, made reports and sent them to the NRC, National Research Council in Ottawa. The National Research Council had an upper atmosphere research facility that at the time was responsible for UFO reports, unquote. Did the NRC investigate? The NRC concluded from Ottawa that it wasn't a UFO, but probably the planet Jupiter. This is despite Council Blackwood making the, ske- uh, the sketch of the object, which is posted online. Confusing a cigar-shaped object for a planet seems very hard to explain, but I think it's time for the first question. Has UFO activity been going on for thousands of years, but has increased since the atomic bombs were exploded at the end of World War II in 1945? Yes, and also when more nuclear weapons were made. Are extraterrestrials concerned about mankind doing something really stupid? Some of them, yes, since you could say that some of them are more intelligent beings so they can see how big of a disaster nuclear weapons could be. If the planet were destroyed by nuclear weapons, would there be more far-reaching consequences? The effects would not just be contained on Earth, but also affect the environment around Earth. So it affects the solar systems and the energy would have to go somewhere. Why is there apparently frequent UFO activity over Canada, apparently more frequent than, say, the United States? There's frequent activity everywhere. It's just where the UFOs are seen or where they want to be seen. So there's not really a specific area that's more active. It's just the number of sightings, people noticing, and the number of UFOs that are actually seen is higher. 
have at least four species of extraterrestrials been visiting Earth for thousands of years, with most of them coming from other star systems, with some living on Venus, Mars, and on the Moon orbiting Saturn. So yes, there's different species of them, and yes, some live on other planets, but it cannot be exactly said where they live, since they haven't been technically discovered yet. But there are multiple different species that aren't too far away. Do visiting extraterrestrials think that we are good stewards of our planet? Yes and no. So the good extraterrestrials do recognize that there are good people trying to do the best thing possible, while others do realize how destructive humans can be. And even humans themselves need to acknowledge how destructive they are, not only of their own species, but other species. Regarding the Falcon Lake incident, did Stefan Michelek look up and see two cigar-shaped objects with a reddish glow hovering about 45 meters or 50 yards away? Yes. Did one object land on a flat section of rock while changing shape to look more like a disc? Yes. How could the object change shape? Basically, the manipulation of energy. So you can think of it kind of like silly putty, where you just have to manipulate the form using energy to be able to change shape. So obviously it is way more complicated than silly putty, but it's flexible enough to change shapes. Did the other flying object remain in the air for a few minutes and then fly off? Yes. Why did the object that landed on the rock stay where it was with Stefan nearby making a sketch of it? It was taking samples and was unbothered by him sketching it. What type of samples were being taken? They were actually taking different soil samples and samples from the earth, such as the plants, so that it could see how the earth was doing, you could say. Why did the object have warm air smelling of sulfur around it? Basically because of what it's made out of. So the smell is what, yes, you would call sulfur here, but it's a different element, you could say. So these were good extraterrestrials? Yes. Did the object emit the sound of motors whirring and hissing of air? That could be said. Was there a door open on the side of the craft with bright lights inside, with voices muffled by the sounds of the craft, but able to be heard? Yes. Did the door close when Stefan approached the object? Yes, they did not want visitors. Was the object hot to the touch, hot enough to melt a glove? Yes. Why was this shaped object so hot? Basically, the buildup of energy. So it takes a lot of energy to not only move, but also transform to shapes. Did the object then begin to turn counterclockwise, revealing a panel containing a grid of holes? No, not exactly, no. So why did Stefan Michelek report that? It did turn, but it was part of the craft, not really something it was trying to show. So it's just a piece of the craft. Shortly afterwards, was Stefan struck in the chest by a blast of hot air or gas that pushed him backwards and set his shirt and cap on fire? Yes. Why did the craft do that? Was it just ignoring that Stefan was there and was just going about its business? Yes, it didn't mean to hurt him. Did the object lift off and then fly away? Yes. Why did Stefan suffer for weeks afterwards from a stomach complaint, headaches, blackouts and weight loss? Some of those were just placebo effects, so they had nothing to do with the effects of the craft and more of the human mind creating physical symptoms since the experience was very traumatizing. However, the headaches could have been from basically the exposure to something that's different from the usual, so the exposure of the craft. While in the hospital, why did Stefan have an odor of sulfur 
that seemed to come out of his pores. Basically from the craft hitting him with the gas. In 1968, why did Stefan suffer from a reoccurrence of burns and blackouts? Those were unrelated, so those were not related to the craft he saw. Why was the landing area devoid of vegetation with the area being, being also highly radioactive? So the vegetation, some of it was taken, which is part of the reason that it was gone. And the radioactivity is from the different building materials that are present, though they aren't all the same. And the radioactivity is hard to tell since on Earth it only measures for things that are known to be radioactive, not for other elements. Was the radioactive, radioactivity natural or alien to planet Earth? Yes, it was alien. How did metal melt in cracks in the rocks? Basically, again, because the energy had to go somewhere. So it created this, you could say, landing pad so it could land. So the energy of the ship is quite great and affects everything around it. Was the metal of former silver coated in pitch blend ore? No, it was not silver. So it was material that was already there, but but it just melted? Correct. How could items from the site be lost as they were transferred from various authorities and agencies, especially if they were radioactive? The extraterrestrials got their materials back, so they didn't want to leave a trace. Why does at least one piece of radioactive metal from the site have a rusted or corroded appearance? Because it is a replacement piece, so it's not actually the original metal. Why was the United States Air Force involved in the investigation? Because of the existence of extraterrestrials is very much known, and the situation that occurred has happened in places in the United States before, too. So they're basically trying to connect the dots of who these extraterrestrials are and what they're looking for. What was the mission of the object seen by Stefan at Falcon Lake? Again, to collect samples. So yes, there's more advanced technology, but they still need to get the physical samples from the Earth, meaning they have to land. So are they monitoring over time to look for changes? Yes, and the one craft that was in the sky was actually keeping watch, you could say, in a way. What do you say about the beings that piloted the object or craft? That they are good beings and that they are here to help, not harm. Changing subject to the Shag Harbor incident, on the 9th of October the 4th, 1967, at about 11.20pm, did an object crash into the waters of the harbor? Yes. Did witnesses see a, a low-flying lighted object head towards the harbor, making, making a whistling sound like a bomb and then making a whoosh noise before a loud bang was heard? Yes. Did the object float on the water while emitting a pale yellow glow? Yes. Did the object leave a trail of dense yellow foam as it drifted? Yes. What was the dense yellow foam? Basically, you could say waste, so what helped propel the craft? Did the object later sink into the waters of the harbour? Yes. Why wasn't anything found when the Royal Canadian Navy sent down divers for three days of searching? Basically, because the object disintegrated, you could say. With so much advanced technology, how could a UFO crash and disintegrate? Because that wasn't just a UFO, it was more advanced technology that was being tested. I think we need to go into the break, Justina. 
Yes, after the short break, we'll continue with the questions and psychic insight. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light.
Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. Before the break, we're going through the questions and the psychic insight about Canadian UFO stories. So, Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Yes. Uh, were there any beings on board the object that crashed into Shag Harbor? There were no beings, but it was basically a test run of the craft, and the people who were testing the craft did not know what they were doing, therefore the crash landing. So even extraterrestrials have to learn the hard way, just like humans. Correct. Earlier, why did the object track along a parallel course a few miles away from Flight 305? It was observing, you could say. Why was the object brilliantly? Why was the object brilliantly lit, rectangular in shape, with a string of smaller lights trailing it? Basically, a newer design, so something that would move quicker and faster than before. Why did the pilots notice a sizable silent explosion near the large object? And then two minutes later, a second explosion fading to a blue cloud around the object. Because it was failing, so the new system was completely failing. Why did Captain Mersey, from the wheelhouse of his ship, see four bright objects situated in a roughly rectangular formation? They were observing the crash that was about to occur. What happened to the other three objects as seen by the captain? They disappeared, so they went back to where they belong. What were the objects doing over Nova Scotia? Basically, they found that it would be a good place to test what they were testing. So it can't be said exactly what they were doing, but they were working on some testing for observation purposes. Changing subject to the Langenberg incident, on September the 1st, 1974, did five saucer-shaped objects, looking like they were made out of highly polished steel, hover a foot off the ground while rotating at a high rate of speed on Edwin Fuhrer's farm? Yes. Did the objects hover for about 15 minutes? Yes. Did the objects then take off, emitting a grey vapour from underneath, and then disappear into the sky while making no sound? Yes. Why did the five objects make the grass circles that were photographed at the time? Because of the, you could say, gas that they were using. So the gas basically made the circles. How did the circles have grass standing in the centre with the surrounding grass flattened in a clockwise direction? Just where the exhaust came out. So there was no message associated with those circles? No. Why did the objects have no windows or portals, nor antennae or other projecting parts, with the exception of something resembling a short exhaust pipe? Basically, they didn't need it, so their designs were that they needed to be sealed and to be able to travel. Was vapour emitted from the exhaust pipes as the objects rose into the sky? Yes. Were the five objects piloted by beings or were they remotely controlled? Those ones were remote. What can you say about the beings that remotely controlled the five objects? Basically that they were visiting and testing, so it was kind of a joint mission, and that they are not horrible beings, but they are not ones that are here to take samples like the good beings, so they are more here to see what's going on on Earth. Why weren't the beings concerned about their UFOs being seen by the farmer? Basically because they didn't think anyone would believe him. Changing subject to the Clarenville incident, on November the 26th, 1978, was a strange object seen in the sky for the second time in about a week over Random Island, Trinity Bay, Newfoundland. Yes. Was the object cigar-shaped with a curved tail with blue, red and yellow flashing lights? Yes. Did the object range from about 35 to feet in diameter and hover approximately 500 feet above sea level with no movement? 
Yes. Did the object cast a shadow over the water? A faint shadow, yes. Did Constable Blackwood decide to turn on the flashing lights of his police car to communicate with the object, or was it there another reason? Yes, he was intrigued by the object. Did the beings in the craft imitate the pattern of flashing lights just as a friendly gesture? They were saying hello, yes. Why did the object stay around for about two hours and leave like a shooting star, but moving in the opposite direction? Basically, they had to refuel, so they were in the refueling process. Why did the official organization in Ottawa conclude that the object wasn't a UFO, but probably the planet Jupiter? Because the original story that it's a UFO seems quite crazy, that a UFO would visit and stay in one place for two hours. So it's easier to come up with more physical explanations of known things, such as planets. What was the mission of the craft? Basically, it was just visiting, so nothing spectacular was happening. But to be able to operate, it needs to be able to get enough fuel to get back to where it needs to go. What can you say about the beings that piloted the craft? They're good beings, and that's why they wanted to say hello to you, which is usually not something they do, but they thought the officer was friendly enough. What can we learn from the four incidents? Number one, to make sure anyone who has a weird experience to document as much as they can. So to get any weird materials tested, make sure to take photographs, do what you can with experience to, to try to make more physical proof. Since that is the hardest thing with extraterrestrials is number one, they either don't leave any physical proof or they take it with them. And number two, a lot of people don't believe in them. So they write off weird experiences as something more normal, such as having a lapse in seeing something, possibly seeing a planet, possibly not seeing anything at all. So to make sure to document everything and also try to spread into the public attention. So if someone has a UFO experience to share the story with others. And this is always easier when there are multiple witnesses. So it is always difficult, for example, with a farmer when there's one witness and then they are trying to convince other people that it actually happened. Of the thousands of sightings reported over Canada over the years, are those actually of UFOs piloted by extraterrestrials or remotely controlled by extraterrestrials? So some of them are remote, such as some we discussed. Some are actually piloted and some are more advanced technology that wouldn't really be associated with extraterrestrials. So there are basically three kinds of sightings. Do extraterrestrial visitors, at least the good ones, follow the prime directive non-interference in the development of the human race? Yes, they are basically in agreement. That was the last answer. Is the planet being visited by well-meaning extraterrestrials too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Well, the shocking part of all those stories was how well they were documented uh, and how credible the witnesses seemed. It was... Uh, uh, there was no uh, allegations of swamp gas. I think the most interesting to me was the one um, where the officer actually flashed his lights. Since, one, if I was an officer, I wouldn't even think of flashing my lights. And, two, that the ship actually communicated back. And I think that goes back to talking about witnesses is that it seems like people from all walks of life are seeing different extraterrestrials. Obviously, not every story is true. But in these stories, it was strange to see that the different people were from such different places in their lives. 
Yes, and the uh, Royal uh, Canadian Mounted Police seem to be very busy with all these UFO sightings there. Their name came up time and time again. I think we have to say something about our Facebook site. We've had various postings on there, but we're not able to answer them. So I think we have to say that uh, we've got the message, we've seen them, but we can't respond. So if there's any listeners who have posted, um, that's the situation. We get some error message when we try and respond. Yes, on that note, we will try to work with Facebook to fix that since it's really strange. So we are getting the messages. We are reading them. Uh, the easiest way right now is if you actually post on our wall, we can see the post. We can reply there. It's just the private messages for who knows what reason aren't working. But we also do have our website at toogoodtobetrue.net. So you can always reach us there. And we are seeing your suggestions. So if you do have suggestions, you can still private message them to us. We're still reading them we're still basically seeing them we just can't reply to them yes so we've covered um, some ufo stories now in canada and we mentioned the united states and britain uh, as pre for previous stories i wonder which countries next we could think about i think there's been a lot over mexico a lot over the southern united states i'm not sure about other parts of the world though yeah, so I think like, the main takeaway from this episode that's kind of a positive message that I got is that there's actually possibly extraterrestrials that are helping us out. And that's kind of a comforting thought because most UFOs or extraterrestrials or aliens I think of are little green men that are running around doing bad things. So it's kind of a comforting thought to think that maybe some of the unknown things that we don't know much about are actually positive. Yeah, I, that was something I took away from it, that uh, they were keeping an eye on us, checking, uh, taking samples, and uh, and the activity apparently stepped up after the atomic bombs were exploded. So uh, we got some friends in high places, one could say. Well, I also want to make a note while we have a minute or two here that it is October, so my favorite month with Halloween coming up here. So we're actually going to have some very special uh, different shows for Halloween. We did a Halloween special last year, but this year we're kind of taking a different twist to it. So we have some really exciting, I would say, Halloween-themed shows coming up this month. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something to say without giving the, the game away. But uh, let's say we'll we'll try and find something really spooky to talk about. Yes, and it's not about glow-in-the-dark coins. We're not covering any funny subjects like that. They're going to be some different subjects. So, as always, if any of the listeners do have suggestions, feel free to contact us either at our Facebook page or our website. And as always, thank you so much to each and every listener, and we look forward to next week's show.
whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like x-zone sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.